is Brock from Little Big Chief Records, and you are listening to the Foxy Podcast. Welcome to the Foxy Podcast, bi-monthly show brought to you by Freeform Freakout. The show is produced at KMSU Studios in Mankato, Minnesota. And here on the Foxy Podcast, we try to dig deeper into underground and experimental sounds of the past and present. And welcome to episode number 41 of the Foxy Podcast. Hope everyone is doing well wherever you're listening from out there. We started the show off with a track, I Made Blood Better from Mad Nana which comes from their 7-inch single of theirs that originally came out on their own Albert's Basement imprint and was later reissued by Little Big Chief Records here in the States, marking their first official release. And uh, as you heard at the top of the show, we're going to be featuring the music from the Little Big Chief label on this edition of the podcast and speaking with Brock Cappers, who's the gentleman that runs the label out of Virginia. 
Little Big Chief has been around for about three years now, putting out a mix of reissues and new material from artists that tend to have a real primitive avant rock or uh, maybe kind of an avant garage punk leaning sound. But uh, more recent reissues like Simon Finn's Acid Folk Classic, Pass a Distance, or maybe Pete and Royce's prog rock epic Suffering of Tomorrow have made the Little Big Chief catalog a bit more difficult to pin down. So in addition to airing that conversation that I had with Brock, you're going to get a chance to hear a track from virtually every Little Big Chief release to date, including material from their latest releases from Hollywood Autopsy and Ragtime Frank that just came out a few weeks ago. But uh, to get us started, though, I'm going to jump right into this interview portion where you're going to get a little bit more background on the label. Um, Many of your early releases on Little Big Chief were reissues of these very limited, pretty hard-to-find releases from the Australian underground. And I was just wondering, was this kind of sort of how you conceived the, the label initially, kind of being this reissue label of sorts and just making some of this, this music available to more people maybe here stateside? My initial reason for putting out that uh, the first Little Big Chief uh, release, The Madman 7-inch, was um, basically getting a couple copies of that uh, and realizing it was only pressed, I think, an edition of 100 or something. And it's such an amazing, mind-blowing record that um, that latched on to me in thinking that pressing up, you know, 300 of those would have been an easy sell. Um, but the Madman and the Sound was just very, very different from anything else that was going on in the States. And, uh, yeah, just something different and something new and I've been running the distribution side of uh, Little Big Chief for a year and always wanted to delve into putting out records myself and uh, that seemed like something fun and interesting to put out for the first time and uh, yeah that was the uh, the first release for Little Big Chief well there was but this... as far as a reissue label goes I didn't necessarily envision it as a reissue label and to be honest, the first, I've been talking to Tom Latz from Silpreuse over the phone for a few months, and he pointed out to me that I was actually reissuing CDRs uh, from uh, Matt Earl from uh, No BBQ and uh, X-Wave. And I didn't necessarily view that as a reissue per se, but it was just putting out music on vinyl for the first time, but that's kind of like a, a, a night of take uh, version of like, you know, putting out music mm-hmm. on vinyl, but I don't know. Well, there was this short label profile piece uh, on your label in Decoder Magazine a while back, and you mentioned mm-hmm. in there um, that you were interested in the music from like the New Zealand, Australian underground for quite some time, and you had met, cited yep. uh, like Pseudo Arcana and, and Stabies those labels as something that you followed quite closely. So as personally, I'm, I'm a fan of both of them, huge pumice fan. <laughs> so who ran yeah, the, the Stabies imprint. So I was kind of uh, curious how you discovered those sounds uh, here in the U S and, and maybe what uh, about them appealed to you. Um, I, I caught wind of uh, Sudarkana and all of that through, uh, are you familiar with Bro- the broken face print magazine from the early 2000s? Mm-hmm. Yep. By Matt's, yeah, Matt's. Matt, Matt's Gustafson, or however how you pronounce his last name, uh, he wrote about that, I think, like the 15th or 16th issue. And at that point, 
broken uh, broken face was like my introduction into completely bent, um, poorly quote quote unquote poorly played music, and it was bands like stuff that came out of Sudarkana, specifically Armpit. Mm-hmm. That band absolutely killed me. I mean, it sounded like some guy just left his guitar in front of an amp and just let it go for 30 minutes. And for me, that was completely new to my ears. I think I heard that stuff for the first time in like 2002, 2003. And it took me a while to like revisit that. I went through a heavy period of my life where I listened to like that kind of stuff for a couple of years. And then I revisited it back in like 2007, 2008 and just, it sounded fresh again. And I guess that was like my point of, and I, I'd never heard Dead Sea at that point, so it was, it was like a, a definitely a, a kind of a, a new way of hearing stuff, and uh, that was my introduction into that world. Well, alongside you know the little Big Chief releases, and you've already mentioned this that you have maintained this small distro, and you said you started that before, but. A lot of the stuff you carry, kind of both label side, distro side, very like-minded material. Do you see the distro and kind of keeping up with that as a way to, you know, kind of expand on what you're doing with the label? Or is this kind of like a way to keep up with the records that you want to keep buying? Is that is that kind of what the distro is for? Well, to the latter, I would love... I mean, that's the reason. I mean, the reason I carry the stuff that uh, distro is... For me to have a personal copy but to the previous like i would love to aspire to the likes of you know kai records from grand lampkin um all the other stuff that i carry i mean i would love to make a label like that but that's those guys have got such a unique vision of what they do my stuff is just a little bit more hodgepodge i think and yeah just, i definitely view myself a little bit more hodgepodge and what i'm i guess entertaining at the time I don't really have, I don't have any kind of vision on what I want my thing to be at mm-hmm. the end of the day. I mean, I don't, yeah, I, the curator thing, I don't really have any kind of vision for the overall, what am I putting out there aspect. It's just what I'm entertaining at the time. Mm-hmm. Well, you do, you have two new records that just came out now here within the last uh, few weeks. One of them's kind of an archival one from the yep. Madison-based group Hollywood Autopsy, and then you have another new one from, I guess, former Lost Domain member uh, Ragtime Frank. So I just kind of want to maybe talk about these two new records before we jump into this first uh, set of music. How how did you kind of come across that Hollywood Autopsy album? Because this was kind of like, was it a private press thing? Like, Because there was another edition of that early on, right? Yeah, they uh, they pressed up 300 of them themselves. Uh, it was uh, engineered by uh, Butch Vig, mm-hmm. and uh, they yeah they pressed up 300 themselves. I forget the name of their label that they did it under, but I mean, long story short, Max Milgram from Watery Love, we talk a lot over uh, Facebook email. Um, and I got to meet him up in Philadelphia back in uh, August of 2013. Just hit me to the record, and he's like, this is in dire need of a reissue, and it was that freaking easy. Apparently, a couple of their labels have approached him to do a reissue, but 
uh, they said yes to do it under Little Big Chief, and it's been super great working with those guys. Uh, John and Julie are uh, a couple that are two-fourths of the bands, and they were amazing to work with. And uh, hopefully the record turns out okay. I think a lot of people have been digging it thus far, but it's only been out there for two weeks. So Yeah, it's a pretty crazy like find, I mean, that this band, I mean, kind of like, half Japanese but yet a little bit more abrasive and punky yeah <laughs> it's hard it's hard to really pinpoint what they're onto it's pretty out there stuff for yeah know, I like mean the... I, I hate throwing out the the garage term but I mean there's a seeds cover on the record that's mm-hmm. completely blasted from the original that that's one of my favorite tracks on the uh, the LP mm-hmm. the seeds cover Mr. Farmer is absolutely incredible um but yeah they're as uh, Tom D'Angelo, the guy who wrote up the uh, the review of the record, who does the amazing print uh, magazine called Put the Music in Its Coffin, um, did a killer, did justice on writing that thing up perfectly. Mm-hmm. The guy's a great writer, and I'm glad he was on board for that record. Yeah, and then can you share us a, a little bit of information about the Ragtime Franklin? Because this is new material oh, yeah. from him. Uh, the record's called I'm a Rocket Ship for My Lord, which I love the title of that. Uh, just kind of like blasted blues music. He's got Leighton Craig playing drums with him, really stripped down yep. and raw. And uh, we were talking... Yeah, so it's... Uh, crap, I forget how many... It's what, three tracks? Four tracks on the record? But uh, he... in So he put out two LPs previously on negative guest list uh, in editions of 100. And both of those records listen the blasted out blues thing could be completely trite nowadays there's there's definitely a lot of people doing that kind of thing but it lacks like complete heart but this guy obviously is tapped into it and puts out this kind of energy on that record that's just freaking incredible um but yeah uh i got a hold of simon ellaby who is Ragtime Frank, uh, Nick Warnock from RIP Society in Sydney uh, passed on his contact fee. Actually, no, excuse me, he hit me up and wanted to see if I wanted to put out the the, uh, the material on the LP, and I was more than excited to do that because it's a beautiful record. And, uh, yeah, quite simple. It happened like that. Cool. Well, we're going to actually play a track from each of those here uh, to get us going in this first set, starting off with uh, something from the Hollywood Autopsy record. Excuse me. Uh, This is a track called Love Removal Finality and then Cold War. So here's Hollywood Autopsy.
the smell of newly cut corn came sifting through the palm trees. My eyes, they were blinded by the sun reflecting on the seas. One hundred dozen mermaids smile as I pass. The sound of familiar voices of yonder days. Jerusalem, 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 oh no, no. Jerusalem was made by a guy, oh I forget. Jesus was a dropout, a king who bore no crown. Only his long hair flowing and blowing in the wind. And Jesus was a fisherman. That's all he had. Jesus was a good guy Who lived on figs and wine A political revolutionary How to let you have a good time Jerusalem, Jerusalem, Jerusalem
off uh, that last set was something from Simon Finn from his uh, Great Past the Distance album and we heard Jerusalem an incredibly powerful track. Um, earlier this year you had reissued uh, Past the Distance and it was the first time pressing, LP pressing here in the US and that record I mean it disappeared pretty quickly. I mean do you have any, I mean is it totally sold out and if if not do you have plans of doing like a second pressing for that album um i don't just for the sheer fact that i mean the repressing it doesn't necessarily cost a lot of money but um yeah i don't know there's other things that i i want to uh spend time and capital on and i mean i think that uh the people that want that record have got their hands on it i mean there's no I don't think it's like outrageously priced online or anything like that at, at the current moment. But um, the distribution channels that I use uh, for reissues is Light in the Attic, uh, Revolver, and Forced Exposure. Um, there hasn't been like any clamoring for them to uh, get more from me. So at this point, no. But do do I think that more people need to hear that record? Of course, after the track that you just played, which kills me every single time I hear it, but uh, no, not at this uh, given point. Right, there's something about, I mean, the whole album is is amazing, but that yeah. track just stands out so much. I mean, I don't know if I've yep. heard a, such intensity, uh, you know, like on a folk record, 
that that comes yeah, across yeah, so yeah, strong. Yeah. You know, like I, I would put that up against like black metal <laughs> in some cases. Just how <laughs> how harrowing that song is. I mean, it's unbelievable. I mean, you're, you the hairs on your arm definitely stand up when <laughs> when uh, when you hear that thing. It's it's yeah, it's an amazing track, and obviously for a lot of people uninitiated with Simon Finn. Uh, that's the first uh, the first track that they hear, and that's a great introduction to the to the record. I, I think that the mood of the record is sustained uh, throughout in different representations. But yeah, the Jerusalem track is incredible. Mm-hmm. Well, you had done um, one cassette reissue of that East Link tape. It was a few years ago, and um, I was just going to ask. I mean, is that sort of a medium that you've considered for maybe doing other possible like little big chief re- releases as no because it's a pain in the ass to package up and send to somebody in the mail <laughs> simple as that yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> i mean it's 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 cheap and an easy way to to get it out to people but uh yeah i mean it's you know, it's it's yeah, I, the, that material on that that Eastlink cassette. Uh, I don't think I think that like just a couple of the tracks didn't make it to the LP. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, no, maybe I don't know. But no future plans for doing anything else on cassette. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm, I'm by no means a vinyl adherent guy. Like I mean, I still buy CDs because yeah, I, I still buy CDs. But yeah. Take cassettes, not so much for the future for Little Big G, mm-hmm. I guess. Yeah. Well, staying on this idea of like format, um, I wanted to bring up Record Store Day of all things, and uh, you know, which seems to be kind of growing more and more each year, and has certainly contributed to this. In, I'm throwing up some air quotes right now, which of course you can't see, like this vinyl resurgence that we're sure. seeing. Um, but I've read more and more accounts of like how this, you know, day has negatively impacted smaller independent labels, you know, like yours with factors like delays and the quality of pressings has gone down. What are your thoughts on record store day? And, you know, have you experienced any of these sort of negative aspects in your years of running your label? Well, in the, my mere three years of running the label, um, I've only had one issue and that's been with my, two records I've just put out. Um, I mean, yeah, plants are getting overloaded, but I mean, in the long, in the long view of things, I mean, you're getting great music out to people that, yeah, I, I just find it to be a great thing. I have no problem with record store day. I mean, the, the people that sell my records, uh, at a retail level, I mean, they make a ton of money off those days. I mean, I've heard, crazy numbers of independent record stores that that make it yeah make a ton of cash and um being it's it's a sorely needed thing for them on the flip side of things though it's definitely it's become like a thing where that's the only day where like certain people buy records Mm -hmm. but i don't know as long as if they're spending money on downloads and stuff like that i'm i'm fine with it as well but yeah i don't know I'm I'm fine with it. Mm-hmm. It, it. It definitely has delayed pressing, though, for for lots of small small labels. Sure, right. Especially with like the bigger pressing houses. Too. Well, 
I wanted to ask, I don't really know how to ask this as a question, but um, I was going to start this next set off with a track from uh, Dan Melchauer's album that you released um, a few years ago. I mean, it was last year, um, but he has it his... It was 2012, 2012, January 2012. Okay, okay. He, um, well, in this record, uh, he writes this, well, I'm assuming it's him, writes this pretty detailed... Uh, liner notes or this write-up in there were about curator culture and um and he he brought up a number of points and this was something that simon reynolds had brought up in his book retromania kind of this whole curator culture running rampant but there's a few lines that i just wanted to pull out and just kind of get your take on them um one of the things he had mentioned was like this this self-important collector slash experts telling you what you can admit to liking the tin pot geffens with influential blogs, the doctors of something or other telling you how art works. And then he also goes on to say something like the talent being, which in this case, I'm assuming he's referring to like the musicians are a bunch of petulant children expecting praise (laughs) for their endeavor when it is clearly the genius of the auteur, director, label boss, curator, blog writer, DJ, reblogger, tweeter, in seeing something and labeling it, that is a skill most valuable in this world. Okay, I'll take a deep breath here. <laughs> what What were your thoughts when you were? I mean, he raises a lot of uh, I think valid points uh, in the way like culture, underground culture, music culture is right now. I'm just kind of curious what you thought when when he submitted this record to you. Well, first off. Dan's got a mouth on him, which is awesome. I mean, his opinions fly whatever way he wants them to fly. And I most certainly agree with him to a certain extent. But listen, I'm, I'm 33 years old. Um, the way I've discovered a lot of music has in the early 2000s were through like Yahoo groups. Because I grew up in like a pretty culturally devoid area. I grew up in Virginia Beach, Virginia. Um, it was definitely... It was a cool hardcore scene for me, and that's how I got into independent music myself um, and really found a love for that stuff. But, I mean, uh, it's the fact of the matter is, is that we're dealing in an age where that's how people get music, no matter if it's quote-unquote underground or you know, mainstream. Like, people get their music through the freaking internet. And if somebody has an opinion that you definitely latch on to and there are most certainly a handful of writers that I completely love and have definitely uh, influence on what the hell I listen to but I I hope that people don't I don't want to be viewed as a curator I mean as I said previously like the stuff that I put out is you know sometimes on a uh, it's on a whim but it's uh I <laughs> I'm not that deep, man. I don't go that deep. <laughs> it's I uh, what I find to be artistically relevant is for me, myself, and I. And that's I mean that that's what it boils down to at the end of the day. And there's lots of things I read online that kind of shape my opinion. But I would hope that I have my own kind of interpretation of what I read. Mm-hmm. Well, let's uh, let's jump into a track then from uh, from Dan's record. This is called Sagittarius A. (laughs) 
Macklin found the point where the light reaches peak intensity and marked it as the center. From our orientation in space, all of the Andromeda galaxy is in full view.
so uh, just to kind of close things out here, I was just going to ask you, I mean, I know you're a pretty active listener. Uh, you carry a lot of stuff that, I, that I'm that i often intrigued with in, in both from your label, but in your distro. So I was wondering, you know, what are some current albums, artists, maybe reissues that have caught your attention here in the recent months or this year so far? Uh, so far this year, uh, I mean, reaching back to, uh, like late last year that, I don't know if you've heard that, that good area record that came out on Kai. Oh yeah. Um, that thing, those, those two are doing something that are, it's unbelievable. I absolutely love what's going on with the good area stuff between the LP that came out on, uh, on Kai and uh, Alan and Gabby run a label called uh, Vitrine uh, Cassettes that uh, they put out a couple really, really solid tapes that uh, I've, I've carried distro-wise and have been obsessed with personally. But uh, yeah, the good area stuff is incredible. Um, and I just just recently started getting into uh, that Nitro Function reissue. Uh, Billy Cox from... Um, uh, uh, Jimi Hendrix band. Uh, that LP has been absolutely phenomenal. Um, but yeah, you know, keeping standards. Listened to a lot of Vegan Fleece from uh, the Van Morrison recently. But uh, yeah, you got to have some of those uh, good like '70s rock stuff during the summer months, right? Yeah, you most gotta, definitely. You got to have your like go-to stuff. During the, that time. Iron Claw reissue that came out, I, yeah, I think it's a Canadian band. I forget what they are, but yeah, Iron Claw. That that reissue has been really, really great. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah. Well, just to wrap things up, do you have uh, or can you discuss any future plans, releases that you they have in the works for Little Big Chief here in the, throughout the um, year? Nothing really official at the moment. Uh, been talking to uh, Davey Walklet from uh, The Small and the Quim, uh, which is a noise band from the, uh, I think, late 90s, early 2000s. Uh, he's done some solo stuff that only came out on tape. Uh, I think he did an LP with uh, Freedom From Records. But uh, there's a tape that I'm looking to reissue from him at some point. But, uh, yeah, I, basically that that's the only thing going on at the moment. Mm-hmm. All right, well, thanks so much, uh, Brock, for taking the time to chat with us. Thank you, David. Appreciate your time. All right, we're going to get back into playing some of the earlier releases that came out on Little Big Chief Records, starting off with a pair of things of those Matt Earle-related releases uh, that were mentioned earlier that came out on his Breakdance the Dawn imprint. We're going to start off with something from X-Wave with Wasted from the Cities in Flame release.
All right, we just heard a couple of great Philadelphia bands there in the second part of that set. We played the entire side of uh, Birds of Maya's Celebration album. It was the A-side called Picnic. Couldn't uh, bring myself to excerpt that, so we just played the entirety of it. In front of that, we heard Watery Love with A Condom from their uh, Two Thrills 7-inch that uh, Little Big Chief Records had uh, reissued. It originally came out on Negative Guest List. And then in front of that, again, a pair of uh, releases that are Matt Earle-related. Uh, it originally came out on CDR on his Breakdance the Dawn imprint. We heard Girls, Girls, Girls with Borscht from the uh, Borscht LP, and then X-Wave with Wasted from Cities in Flame. We do have a little bit more time uh, remaining in the show. So since uh, Brock had mentioned that one of his favorite groups right now, one of his current favorites was uh, Good Area, uh, we both agreed that maybe we would close out the show with something from Good Area. So Dugout, uh, we have their tape release that came out on their own vitrine, the dilettante cassette. So we're going to play uh, the entire A side of that. It's called Anti P. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you. 
And that's going to do it for our show. Once again, that was Good Area with Auntie P from their dilettante cassette that came out on their own Vitrine label. Once again, I want to thank Brock for taking the time to uh, chat with us on this week's show. If you'd like to check out uh, some of the releases, uh, you can follow the links on our website, or you could just head over to littlebigchief.bigcartel.com. If you have any questions for me, you can shoot me an email at fffreakout at hotmail.com. We do have our good friend Chris Berry, who will be coming down in a couple of weeks. Not sure if that will be the next show or the one after that, but uh, stay tuned for that. And as always, thanks so much for listening.